Father. And so, God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that desires to not only understand, but live out all that we're going to be exposed to. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, in the previous weeks, we've been looking at um, Acts, the beginning of Acts, and how um, Jesus um, commissioned his disciples, and he also um, empowered them with the Holy Spirit. Um, the last Sunday, we studied Acts. Tylon did a fab job um, looking at um, Peter's sermon and how he emphasized the gospel he preached the gospel and in response to that um if you look at verse 41 of acts chapter 1 uh, no of acts chapter 2 sorry verse 41 of acts chapter 2 it says so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls like so peter's preached the gospel okay and 3,000 people get saved, okay? And so we could say that what took place after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension was absolutely unbelievable, okay? One gospel presentation and 3,000 people, right, um, trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, repent of their sinful lifestyles, and are baptized in his name and identified themselves as his followers. And this incredible event, right, was followed by the birth of the church. Um, and so we've been talking about this. Um, if you've been at our church for a while, the church is not a building or a place, but it's a people. Um, and it's a people who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and have been adopted as children into God's family. So you could say the church is the family of God. And that is why as a church, if you've noticed in the recent months, our vision as a church has been that we are a church family on mission with Jesus. And so our passage for this morning, what it does is it describes the life of the newborn church, better known as the early church. And what we want to explore and learn from them is the focus and level of their commitment. In other words, what were their primary commitments and how were they committed to these things? That's going to be our focus for today. So every family has traditions they're committed to all right as i said that i'm sure some of you have been reminded of some of the traditions you and your family have okay some of the traditions you are proud of <laughs> and some of them you are embarrassed about okay um, most of you know that um, my wife elena is of greek descent and you could say that I married into a big Greek family, all right? And Greeks have this incredible tradition where they are committed not only to big weddings, but they are committed to 
barbecues um barbecues okay greeks love their barbecues and they call their barbecues suvla ever since i was married to eleanor the, no matter what the weather was like okay if it was pouring if it was snowing <laughs> if it was a hurricane uh, and greeks wanted to do a barbecue that would not stop them as uh, at all every family has traditions um they are committed to um there are so many lessons we could learn from the early church but what we want to focus on today is the essential traditions they were committed to and the answers we discover are intended as an example for us as a church and so the reason why we want to be doing acts is that we want to as a church not take our cues of how we should function as a church from our culture um, or from church culture but we want to understand how we're to function from the original church that has been the purpose of acts and so we are going to be looking at what they were committed to and as we look at it it will be an example for us so what should we as a church king's cross church be committed to and what should our level of commitment be first and if you're making notes and i hope you are first is a relentless commitment to knowing god through the word of god okay relentless commitment to knowing god through the word of god all right look at verse 42 it says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching stop right there okay the apostles most of you know who the apostles were but if you don't the apostles were jesus's disciples okay these men left their families their hometowns and their jobs to follow jesus and for three years, this is what they saw Jesus do. They saw Jesus teach with profound authority. Okay, when, we, when it comes to like best communicators of all time, you don't want to look at TED Talk, <laughs> right? You want to look at Jesus Christ. He is the most profound communicator the world has ever witnessed. Okay, so... For three years, the disciples witnessed him teach with profound authority. They saw him turn water to wine, walk on water, feed thousands, raise the dead, cast out demons. And Jesus proved to them over and over again that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. The apostles were Jesus's closest companions when he was on earth and they became his instruments not only to build his church, but lead his church and advance his gospel after his resurrection and ascension. So, in light of all of this, okay, you could say that these apostles were the cream of the crop. They were very important men who had unique authority bestowed on them by Jesus himself. Okay, They weren't nobodies. They were they were the cream of the crop but surprisingly these 3000 new converts were devoting themselves not to the apostles right but the verse tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching 
these early believers were enthusiastic students of the word of God as it came through the apostles. And as a church, King's Cross Church, this is the mindset we all need to have. We need to be God-centered, not man-centered. It should never be about the teacher of the word, but it should always be about the teaching of the word. Okay? We should all show up every Sunday, whether it's at a Soledad club or show up online through Zoom, right? With a desperate desire to hear directly from God through his word. And this is key. This is, I think, what God has been teaching us in the last few weeks where we've had um, various preachers come in and teach right? Um, You've not had me there. And so you've had different people and it's taken time getting used to it. But I've been so impressed by how you guys have been attentive to the preaching, right? To the word of God. And that is a great example of what we should be committed to. And so these early believers do not only exemplify for us the focus of our commitment, but they also display for us the intensity of our commitment. Notice that it says that they devoted themselves. Okay, they devoted themselves. In other words, um, they not. In other words, what's happening is that the kind of devotion they displayed to the Word of God was not. A Sunday only kind of devotion or when I feel like it kind of devotion, regardless of their environment and circumstance, they possessed a relentless devotion to the word of God. Their devotion can be likened to, you know, those bulls that run after red flags, those red flags, those bull riders, like, like you know, the bulls, that devotion, that intensity they have towards trying to get that red flag and the horse guy, all of that. Like it's, it, it's that kind of devotion. This is what it's describing. And so the focus of their commitment was the word of God but the intensity of their devotion was relentless. And what is true for this church family in the first century is also true for us as a church family in the modern world. My question to all of us is when we have decisions to make, whether major or minor, is God's word the primary source in which we seek wisdom. When we have decisions to make, whether major or minor, the word of God needs to be our primary source of advice, direction and guidance. Do you cherish what God has to say through the sacred scriptures? Or have they become so familiar to you, you no longer delight in them? I once read a quote by J.C. Ryle. Um, He was an old school Bible teacher. He said this, The same fire which melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun which makes the living tree grow dries up the dead tree and prepares it for burning. 
Nothing so hardens the heart of man as a barren familiarity with sacred things. Has the sacred scriptures declined in value to you? Have they become as bland and tasteless as gum chewed for hours? In the midst of this coronavirus outbreak, we can become more consumed. We can become more consumed with what is being said on the news and the internet about this than what God has said in his word about who he is and how he's promised to sustain us through all of this. And look, I have been consumed. I really have by everything that is being said on the internet and everything that is being said by people's actions around me. Right, People in the UK are beginning to freak out. The Brits are normally reserved and the Brits, in light of this whole coronavirus outbreak, were very defiant. It was all, let's carry on, Brits. You know, let's just carry on and let's keep going. Let's not shut things down. Let's keep things open. But this morning, my wife and I, the family, we went to church and we went out after church and... All the toilet rolls are going, okay? <laughs> right? We went to get some sanitizer. No sanitizer available, right? And we are all exposed to the actions of people and what is being said about this outbreak. And the more we see it and the more we read about it, the more we are influenced by it more than God's word. And so our challenge for this season especially is to make sure that we remain rooted and grounded in God's word because it's in God's word that will remind us that in the midst of this national um, unrest, right, nationwide unrest, God is our anchor and God is the one that sustains us. We must be devoted to God's word. Um, let's be individuals um, like Job, right? If you read Job, he lost everything. He lost his family, his health, his wealth, everything. And in the midst of severe suffering, this is what Job had to say. And don't go here, but write this down. Job 23, 12. It's incredible how he responds to all of this. Uh, he says this after losing everything. He says this, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. <laughs> wow, that's been one of my prayers that God, I would treasure you and your word more than food. Big prayer. And I pray for that and I hope we pray for that and I know that God would, uh, will answer that prayer. So, secondly, the early Christians did not only have a relentless commitment to knowing God through his word, but they endeavoured to know God through fellowship. Let's look at verse 42 again. Look at verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Okay, uh, the basic meaning 
of the word fellowship here is partnership or sharing. It carries the idea of having something in common. Okay. And the kind of fellowship being described here was a common fellowship because of the great spiritual realities they had in common. Their vertical relationship with God determined their horizontal relationship with one another. The closer they got to with God, the more they dwelt together in unity. And that is very, very true. Very true. You will notice, and I've noticed in my life, the seasons where I am distant from God are the seasons where I am unlikely to want to be with God's people. Every believer should be committed to fellowship with other believers. Okay, and so again, let's apply it to our day and age and what's happening in the midst of this crisis um, with COVID-19, um, where we are encouraged to isolate. This is what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for this, that we have all, knowing this is not ideal and it's digital and it's online, I have been impressed by the hunger we all have to be with each other and to fellowship with each other. It's been incredible to see. I didn't know who was going to show up this morning. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know who was going to show up. I was super nervous, but it's amazing that we've all showed up and we're all in it and 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 in all all of us showing up, it's communicating our desire to be with one another. And this speaks volumes when it comes to where we are with God. Okay. And, I, and I'm not saying if you're not here and you don't want to be with each other, you don't have a, I, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that our desire to be with one another most of the time is an indication of where we are with God. Okay. Is all of that, but sadly, um, when it comes to meeting together, um, the influence of individualism, um, our culture, because of the influence of individualism, our culture is at odds with this way of thinking. Individualism, if you've heard of it, um, has spread like wildfire where the sovereign self has become supreme. Most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, we think of ourselves, then we think of the group. We think of what we can get out of it rather than what we can give. OK, um, my one of my pastor's friends, Jeremy Treat, said that we're the generation that managed to get the word selfie in the dictionary. And that just speaks volumes of where we are. Um, sadly, individualism has made its way not only in our culture, but it's made its way into the church. It really have to the point where our commitment to doing life with other believers at times is not prioritized. It's become optional. But this verse shows us the opposite. It destroys any notion that suggests Christianity is a solo lifestyle. Um, our Christian faith is not to be practiced alone, but in community. It's not just about you and Jesus. It's about you, Jesus, and other believers. And so like the early church, a relentless commitment to fellowship is a necessary commitment every Christian is expected to make and sustain. 
The early Christians were not only dedicated to knowing God through his word and fellowship, but thirdly, they also pursued a relentless commitment to knowing God through Christ's exalting communion. Look at verse 42 again. It says, and they devoted themselves not only to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. The term breaking of bread here refers to the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. And communion was established by Jesus for all believers to observe, often in remembrance of him. So the early church devoted themselves to celebrating communion in order to remember what Jesus had accomplished for them through his death. Communion, okay, was not just a remember of what Jesus had done. It's also a time for us to get right with God by confessing our sin and taking the needed steps towards repentance. And thirdly, every time we practice communion in our gatherings, we're not only reflecting on Jesus' death for our sins, we are also proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Okay? Communion looks forward to Jesus' second coming. And again, in the season we're in, this, is, this brings about so much comfort. Why? Because it reminds us that the world we have and the world we're in and everything we have is not all we'll ever have. Jesus will be back to eradicate the presence of sin and the power of sin from our lives. It's an incredible promise. Communion provides us with an incredible promise. Yes, communion, the idea of it is gruesome, but it's also good news. It's gruesome because it looks back to Jesus' horrific death. But most importantly, communion is good news because his death is the reason our sins are forgiven. Communion exalts Christ and ultimately reminds us of God's tenacious love for us. And so in the future... When we celebrate communion, and I don't know the next time we're going to celebrate it, whether it's going to be through digital or in person, I don't know. The next time we celebrate communion, we must celebrate in a way that um, reminds us of what God has done, right? In that we celebrate communion, not so we can acquire salvation, but to rejoice in the salvation we already have in Christ. We observe communion not to gain God's love, but to be reminded of his unconditional love for us through the sacrifice of his son. And we partake in communion. And as we do, we are remembered, reminded that Jesus will return, not as a baby, but as a conquering king to completely eradicate the presence and power of sin on this earth. Communion is a powerful thing. And in the past, I I practiced communion and it just became this ritual. This ritual. But it's so good for us to be reminded of what it's all about. Because as we celebrate communion, 
it has more meaning and it makes more of an impact. Lastly, prayer was another practice they were engaged in that helped them know God more. Okay, um, look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. And what is it? The prayers. Okay, a healthy church is a praying church. You've helped me. You've heard me say that a million times. Prayer is at the heart of our relationship with God. And for this reason, the early church displayed a relentless commitment to prayer. And this was because they knew how much they needed God to guide and empower them for the mission he had called them to. Okay, I've been praying Okay, more than I've prayed um, in this season, in this season of desperation. Especially when, you know, at the beginning of the year, we found out and we're going through all these visions. I know, Eleanor, when, when I weren't the only ones praying a lot, but I know that you guys were praying more than ever. Okay, prayer, we engage in prayer when we are reminded of how much we need God. Prayer was also at the heart of their fellowship because they believed the promise that God would supply all their needs according to his riches in Christ. Philippians 4.19 This relentless commitment to prayer they displayed was not just because of their neediness or their lack of faith in God's promises, but prayer was a means by which they grew. Listen to this. Prayer was a means by which they grew in their knowledge of who God is. And this is so, so important for us to realize. Because if you're like me, your tendency in prayer is to be self-centered. Paul Tripp helps us with this. This is what he says. He says, so many of our prayers are self-centered grocery lists of personal cravings that have no bigger agenda than to make our lives a little more comfortable. They tend to treat God more as our personal shopper than a holy and wise father king. They're more like pulling up a divine shopping site than bowing our knees in adoration and worship. Prayer should not be self-centered but God-centered. It should ultimately be about seeking intimacy with God, our creator. Um, Prayer should not be self-centered, but God-centered. Should be ultimately about seeking intimacy with God. And I went on to say that God wants us to make our needs known to him. He's our father and he cares and wants to provide for us. Okay, and so don't, don't, don't hear me saying we should never ask God for anything. But. Always, if we're always asking for things and never delighting in who he is, it's like a child only speaking with their father whenever they want something. Prayer is more about basking in who God is than asking him for stuff. Prayer is all about growing in our knowledge of who God is. 
I love what Charles Spurgeon has to say. He says this, true prayer is not a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance, but it's far deeper than that. It's spiritual commerce with the creator of heaven and earth. It's a spiritual busyness from beginning to end and its aim and object is not man, but God himself. Amen to that. And I say amen to that thinking, man, wow, I struggle with this. And so in this season, okay, where most of us are going to be um, at home more than we like or more than we want to, um, we have an opportunity to spend some quality time with God. We do in prayer. And I believe what will inspire us to pray and what will um, sustain our prayers is prayers that are centered on seeking God for who he is. Right. I think prayer easily becomes dull and bland when we go into it just asking God for stuff and stuff and stuff. But I think our prayers can be invigorated when we center our prayers on knowing who God is. And one of the best ways, um, one of the best um, ways that has helped me do this is by praying from scripture. Okay. I pray from Psalms. And so, uh, you know, I, I like to choose a, a Psalm every day, read it and just pray from it. This has been incredibly fruitful in my life um, to, to, to help me not only look forward to prayer, but have a, a, a flourishing prayer life as well. Okay. And so all of these practices that we've looked at exist and we're to commit to them so that we may know God more. Um, to know God is why we read and study and sit under the teaching of God's word. To know God is why we meet regularly with one another. To know God is why we are relentlessly committed to observing communion and praying without season. All of these practices they were engaged in was for the purpose of knowing God. And let me prove that to you. That is why verse 43, what does verse 43 says? It says, after them practicing all of these things, what happened? All came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We will experience the awe of God and God will work powerfully in and through the life of our church. If we gather together, we read scripture, we pray, we practice communion with the primary purpose of knowing who he is. As the early church continued to devote themselves to these practices, they grew in their knowledge of who God is 
And as they did, it impacted every area of their lives, including their relationship with one another. Their relentless commitment to knowing God naturally led them to a selfless commitment to others. A selfless commitment to others. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As we've seen, the type of fellowship described in verse 42 was the was for the purpose of worship, right? To know God more. But the type of fellowship being described here in verses 44 and 45 is others focused. Verse 44 tells us that the people of God were together and they had what? All things in common. And because of this selfless state of mind, verse 45 tells us that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What this verse makes clear is that they didn't only give out of their abundance, but some gave sacrificially. Some sold their prized possessions in order to meet the needs of others. And this is something the whole community was involved in. This way of living was not limited to a select few within the church. Every member had a selfless commitment to the people of God. Also, they shared their possessions not because they were forced to, but, but, but as we read this, it seems like they wanted to. They really wanted to. And they are, this early church is an example for us. Because what is true for them is also true for us as a church in San Diego in 2020. Okay? So what does it look like for you? As a member of King's Cross Church to live this way, to possess a selfless commitment to other believers. First, it's a sacrificial response to the corporate needs of the church. Second, what this selfless commitment to one another can look like in this church is a sacrificial response to the personal needs of individuals. Okay, so uh, today Eleanor and I went to get some toilet roll. I don't know why, but we probably did because everyone's getting toilet roll. And I'm sure there is a good reason why toilet roll is in great demand. And so we went in this shop called Wilco's. Okay, we went in there and we went to the toilet roll aisle. And to our amazement, there were... Some toilet roll left. Later on, we had found out they had just opened 30 minutes ago. And so we got in just in time to have a choice. And so Eleanor went to get some toilet roll and she came back and said to me, they have a sign up here saying that every customer 
must only take two packs of toilet rolls each. I looked at that and I was like, wow, that's interesting. From what I've been hearing, <laughs> you know, in other parts of the world, <laughs> I, I don't think there's that same, um, there's that same um, requirement. And as I thought about this more, I was very much like, man, we are all going into grocery stores and department stores and grabbing everything we need in order to survive the coming apocalypse, it seems like. <laughs> you know, whatever feels like that. And as we do that, we're not thinking about other people. I wasn't anyway, you may have, but I don't think we're thinking, man, I got to get another, an extra pack of toilet roll because my neighbor, right, or someone I know might need a pack of toilet roll. I think for most of the general public, they're stocking up for themselves, right? Stocking up for themselves. And so as we read this passage, it's reminding us as a church to be thinking about others, right? To be, um, to, to, to be looking out for the needs of others. And so as a church, not just because of the, this outbreak and this crisis we're in, as a church, there will always be individuals in our church who have needs, and as I've been part of King's Cross Church for the last two years, to be honest, I have been amazed by how we have responded to the personal needs of individuals in our church. And my family, my family, all right, can testify to this. Most of you know, because of limitations with visa and everything like that, I haven't been able to get extra work um, as I've you know, pursued the ministry God has called me to. I just haven't. And so that has put us in a lot of financial um, um, restraints and burdens over the years since I've been in America. But we've been continually blessed and provided for by God through his church in so many ways. Um, through King's Cross Church and the previous church, which was uh, one of the ones that stood out to us is this. Um, a friend of us, back in the church we was at in LA, um, Reality LA, um, gave us a huge amount of money. This donation, it was a time where we needed, like we just needed help financially. And he must have heard about it. So he gives us a huge amount of money um and it was unexpected because i knew he was engaged and soon to be married so after receiving his donation i texted him to express our thanks and appreciation and this is what he said he texted back this was his reply he said obed i felt led to support your family but i had absolutely nothing to give nothing all of my finances were depleted on my girlfriend's engagement ring. All right. For all you young people listening to me now. Okay. Who are planning, you know, Dan, B, whoever. Okay. Like the ring was expensive. 
and your ring might be expensive. But anyway, he goes on to say, but I still felt that I was supposed to help somehow. I prayed that God would provide financially so that I could give something. I came back home on Wednesday evening to a work check that I was not expecting. And my fiance and I both knew it was supposed to be for you, for your family. Obed, it's all God. Okay, he provided that. It's not much, but I'll continue to pray that he provides more opportunities to support your family. Love you, man. Isn't that amazing? And over the years, as I've been part of many churches, I have seen God's people be selfless in their giving and helping one another. And I have absolutely witnessed that in the life of King's Cross Church. And I could sit here for hours and communicate the many times I have seen our church family provide for each other in similar ways. But I didn't want to embarrass anyone. That's why I used an example of someone outside of our church. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are laughing or not, but I hope you are. All right. Um, yes. And as we think about giving, we must also consider wisdom. Wisdom needs to be attached to our generosity. But this passage is challenging us to be selfless in our commitment to one another. And this selflessness is expressed through giving. Giving that hurts. Giving involves more than finances and resources. There are also many needs in this church. You have the ability and resources to fulfill. Like the early church, we need to exercise a selfless commitment to God's people through sacrificial generosity. And so my question to you is, in what way could you give sacrificially? Especially in this season. Especially in this season. In what way could you give sacrificially? Today, I went to church and um, it was, there was meet and greet. And I looked to my right and there was this guy sitting there and he looked really scruffy. And he didn't only look scruffy, he started coughing. And I'd already made eye contact with him. Okay, he was sitting on his own and I'd already made eye contact with him. So, I, I mean, I was locked in. I had to go and engage with converse. I had to go and engage with him in conversation, but I didn't want to because he looked scruffy and he was coughing, and I was very much like, "What do I do? This coronavirus thing is is stressing me. I don't want to catch it. He might have it. I don't know." But I took a deep breath, held my breath, went up to him. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I went up to him and I, you know, I stood at a distance. I think it was six feet. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, and I just like engaged in conversation with him and for me in that moment that was a way I could sacrificially provide for the needs of someone in our church because they were sitting on their own and it looked like no one wanted to speak to him you know and I made sure it was a quick conversation I was like hey what's your name Oh, how long have you lived in Cambridge? Oh, great. Um, how long have you been at the church? Great. And it was, and you know, I was just, but, but these are the opportunities we're going to have. Okay. And so lastly, 
We're not only called to commit to knowing God and serving one another, we're also expected to be actively committed to his mission. Did you guys hear that? We're also expected to be actively committed to his mission. Let's look at, finally, let's look at verse 46, 47 as we conclude. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As a church family, we are expected to possess an active commitment to the mission of God. And when we do, it will result in this first. It will result in a presence among non-believers. Okay, The early church did not only gather in their homes, but they gathered together in public. Worship was not only the reason for fellowship, mission was too. They had both an inward and outward focus. This is why they gathered at the temple. This location was not only big enough to house all of them, but it was a public forum. It allowed them to have a presence amongst non-believers with the goal of seeing them become believers. As they committed to the mission of God by preserving a presence amongst non-believers, I love what we're told in verse 47. It says, they had favor with all the people. Did you guys see that? They had favor with all the people. And this includes non-believers. What this is clearly showing us is that as we live and pursue the welfare of our city, people are supposed to like us. It shouldn't be a surprise um, if the people we work with favor us as they con- as they witness our good deeds and integrity. As some as most of you know, I, 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 I had to get a job while I was here. And so I work at an exclusive um, health gym gym in the area and it has a restaurant in there and i i serve tables i do dishes i make coffee i don't drink coffee but i make coffee <laughs> can you believe that i'm making coffee i make coffee i'm making drinks i'm you know serving customers food and i've been there for like two 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 weeks now and it's been amazing to see how they've responded to me being there. Um, one of the managers recently told me and said, Obed, you know, I just suggested that, you know, I don't really want you. I, I hope you're not thinking about leaving. I, I hope you're thinking about staying. We know you're going to be here for a year, but we really like you and all of that. And you work hard and all of that. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I'm just like cleaning tables and taking people's food to them and it's not hard you know but that's the thing like I I was glad to hear that because it was a display of me having favor in my workplace in my workplace and some of you know this to be true You've received an incredible amount of favor at your work. Your boss loves you and trusts you. And because of this, you've been promoted quickly or they've just given you whatever, right? Our active commitment to God's mission at times will result in favor with non-believers. And as Christians, we should be the most trusted people wherever we are. At work, at college, at the gym, we're supposed to be like, but being liked and favor with non-believers is not our end goal okay it's not our end goal 
It's the bridge we utilize to expose them to the gospel. If they like you, they'll probably listen to you. That's what I always say. Okay, the early Christians enjoyed the favor of the people outside the church. What is true for them is also true for us. But let me just say this. One theologian reminds us that this will not always be the case. He says this. Unfortunately, such favor does not always last for long. For those who admire the life of Christians soon come to realize the implications of their message. They realize they're being challenged to make a decision about adopting Christianity and rejecting their own cherished religion. Thus, admiration is replaced by fear and opposition. This favor the early Christians experienced soon turned to hostility from people outside the faith. And as we're going to be looking through, start walking our way through Acts, we will see that they encountered intense persecution. Our active commitment to the mission of God will involve both favor as well as hostility from those outside the church. Our active commitment to the mission of God will not only bring about favor as well as hostility from people who are lost, but it will also result in the lost being saved. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Okay. Notice this. That their commitment to knowing God, their selfless commitment to each other and their active commitment to God's mission led to many more people being saved. Notice this in verse 47. I want you guys, your eyes to zero in on this. It says, the Lord is the one who added to their number. Ultimately, God is the evangelist. King's Cross Church, okay? Our active commitment to the mission of God here in San Diego means this. We do all we can to maintain a presence amongst non-believers. And so, even though we're not meeting at the Soledad Club, doesn't get in the way of us being on mission. Why? Because we all still have jobs we will possibly have to go to. We all still have relationships with other people. And so we we will maintain a presence amongst non-believers. Self-isolating and all of this, like because of this coronavirus and how we have to quarantine ourselves doesn't mean the church has to be quarantined. It doesn't mean that. We can still or we still have a presence amongst non-believers. What if God used this unexpected season where many of us have to isolate and we can't meet in public, not just to train us to get used to um, 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 having online church services, 
but to make disciples with the people we live, work and play with. As a church, when we think about mission and evangelism, we've always said that you are the missionary where God has put you. Okay, our Sunday gathering is not the missional, the main missional element or tool of our church. You are, (laughs) right? You are. And so I think with all of this going on, with the coronavirus outbreak, where we can't meet at the Soledad Club, what it should do is it should remind us of what mission and us being on mission really is like as a church. And it shouldn't be just our Sunday gatherings. It shouldn't. It always has to be you being on mission wherever God has put it put you as a christian my question to you is this morning do you have a relentless commitment to knowing god do you demonstrate a selfless commitment to the people of god listen to me clearly and do you possess as a Christian living in Sangio, do you possess an active commitment to the mission of God? The level of commitment expected from the church family, right? In the early church is expected of you as a member of the church family, King's Cross Church. Because as we explored in this passage, what is apparent is that they were all unified in their commitment. Every um, member was devoted. They all had a relentless commitment to knowing God. They all possessed a selfless commitment to one another, and they all were actively committed to the mission of God. No member of this church was inactive. They were all in this together, and this level and scope of commitment makes some of you guys very uncomfortable right now. As we've been talking about their intense devotion to reading God's word and prayer and being selfless. If you're honest with yourself, some of you are uncomfortable. And you're uncomfortable because as we hold up this model of what we're supposed to be committed to and the kind of commitment expected, you realize right now, you realize that you are far from it. If this is the ideal, if this is what is expected, then you're probably thinking, I have failed to meet expectations. And as I've looked at this, I have failed. (laughs) I have not been as committed to God's word as I should be. I have not been as prayerful as I think I should be. As you look at your level of commitment and compare it with what it expected, you realize that your commitment to knowing God through prayer and his word is not relentless, but it's been inconsistent. Your commitment to God's people is not selfless, but most of the time it's selfish. Your commitment to the mission of God is not active, but you've been passive. You've been shy and fearful to engage with non-believers and share the gospel. In reality, your commitment misses the mark. It fails to reach this standard. And if you are discouraged, 
by this level of commitment, my question is what will inspire you? What will revive your commitment for God, his people and his mission? What is it going to be? This is what will help. Reflect and meditate and listen to me clearly. Reflect and meditate on God's commitment to you as displayed in the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the most powerful fuel for your commitment because Jesus spearheaded the most powerful display of commitment the world has ever witnessed. And so as you read this scripture and as you've listened to me speak and you are feeling that you are a failure and you've missed the mark and you've not been as committed as you should and you don't know how you're going to be as committed to God's word and prayer and mission and all of that. Do you know what will help? What will help is by you reflecting and meditating of God's commitment to you as displayed in the gospel. Jesus, the son of God, became human just like you and I. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father, but it was also the reason he died on the cross. And on his way to the cross, before he tasted death, he experienced unthinkable shame and suffering. He was forced to carry the wooden cross he would be nailed to and eventually die on. But on the third day, he rose again and before he ascended to heaven, he commanded his disciples to go out and be his witnesses. And why did Jesus endure such shame and suffering? Because he was committed to his father's mission and the mission of God the Father has always been and will always be to offer salvation, the forgiveness of sin to those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus's life, death and resurrection is by far the greatest display of commitment the world has ever witnessed. It's not just the fuel for your commitment is the only way for sinners to be rescued and welcomed into the family of God. Because of God's commitment to you, shown in the person of Jesus Christ, you can, just like the disciples in Acts, experience fruit. When you gaze upon the fact that he was faithful to you, he pursued you, he sacrificed for you, he bore hostility from sinners for you, you will love him in return. So, King's Cross Church, as a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego, may we continually display a relentless commitment to knowing God through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through communion, may we continually display a selfless commitment to the people of God and an active commitment to the mission of God. And as we seek to fulfill these commitments, may our eyes be continually fixed on Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who 
for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, so that we may love God, love one another, and be empowered in our commitment to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for exposing us to what you've called us to. But we are even more thankful that you have reminded us of Jesus, of your commitment to us in Jesus Christ, which empowers and enables us to live the life you've called us to live. May we continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.